Today is Father's Day, and I've got a few things which I'm trying to uh, hold in tension together. One is the love of the Father. Uh, two is our wonderful sermon message being imperfect together and just honing in on that theme. But uh, in that umbrella, I also want to talk about today that in our lives, in the different stages of our lives, it's always spring in Jesus. It's always a new beginning. It's always like the best is always ahead of us. So let me try and hold those uh, different concepts here in tension uh, as I go through my message today. But if I look at the overall theme in the Bible, and I think of the, the, the verse, the Great Commission, there's part of that big idea, that big theme, which impacts all of us, meaning we're all called to be part of what God is doing on earth. It starts off with experiencing the reality of the living God in our own lives personally, uh, meaning we experience God's love, that God is for us, that God wants to empower us and give us a great life. And God is saying, this will happen if we will obey Him. And so we start this struggle of trying to hear God and obey God and experience the fullness of His life that He's given us. And it's obviously focused on the very fact that God, the Father, sent His Son, Jesus, who was so obedient, was willing to die on the cross uh, to make a connection so that we could look at Jesus, see His perfect life, see his perfect sacrifice, and be connected to the love of the Father. And so as we look at Jesus and we try and become more like Jesus and we follow Jesus, we want to experience the love of the Father. So we're all part of this great commission in some way or another. We're either at the front end, we're in the middle, but it's new for us. It's new for us each day. This never gets old. And uh, I want to unpack that a little bit, but let me just uh, pray, read the Great Commission once more, uh, and I'll unpack it a little bit. Father, we just thank you that we stand here, or we sit, sit here before you, uh, making the time, making the intentionality to come to church, to be equipped, to be empowered, to be inspired, to be able to cast out off the weights, the things that bog us down. Lord, that we can transfer our inability or our addictions or our bad habits or our bad directions and give them to you. And expect, expect by the Holy Spirit that you change us from within to have the desires that you'd want us to have and to be able to hear your voice and to be empowered and to ultimately uh, respond by putting into practice our faith in action by loving others. So Lord, just ask you to just come today, empower my preaching, empower each person here to get something out of this message today that would be helpful. But Lord, that we would experience your love as imperfect people and that we'd be able to love others. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Let me just uh, read the Great Commission again. Uh, I know we've, it's a very familiar verse for many of us, for most of us. 
But, you know, as Jesus closes out, the, well, the, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew closes out, Jesus has this, the final verses recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is speaking to each one of us in that verse, because either we're going, or we're praying for those that are going, or we're providing financially so that we can go, or we are trying to do that on a micro level, like in our own home. Can we be good news to our spouse, to our kids, to our grandkids? Can we be going in our neighborhoods? I mean, the primary focus for our church is right here in Hopkinton and the surrounding towns. But God stretches us always beyond our comfort levels, where he's also saying it's not just about us and our family and our towns, it's the whole world. Now, go out there and do something about it. And it's like, wow, that's exciting, it's challenging, uh, there's just so many obstacles, uh, but God makes a way where there really is no way. So uh, I want to just tell you about an upcoming trip uh, to Portugal and Spain and who's going and why we're going and how it involves you and all that good stuff real quickly. We have three legs uh, on, this, on this trip. Our first leg is to go to Portugal and a vineyard church started in Lisbon a few years ago. They, they a couple that were born in Chile, uh, were missionaries in, in Russia, ended up in Northern Ireland uh, in a vineyard church, and from that church they were uh, sent to Lisbon. So very indirect, uh, they learned Spanish, uh, they are... Been, they've been in Lisbon for, I think, a couple of years now, and they are trying to uh, start a church. Now, our partnership, uh, we're in a partnership with a bunch of other vineyard churches, mostly in Massachusetts, but uh, some are uh, scattered in California. Uh, anybody can join the partnership. The partnership is saying, who wants to do focus on missions work in, was originally uh, Spain, and now we're saying, how about Portugal, because Portugal's uh, right next to Spain. So the leader of our partnership, uh, his name is Randy, and he's uh, in Palo Alto in California. He made this very bold idea. He said, why don't we all go as the lead pastors of all these churches that are part of the partnership and go to Portugal, to Lisbon, and pray? Uh, and what we want to pray for is, God, what is your heart for Portugal? What is the Father's heart for Portugal? And, God, what is your involvement? What do you want us, how do you want us to be involved in this? Now, just think about this for a moment, because when I first heard this request, I thought, the first thing that goes to my mind, that's a lot of money. I'll just be honest with you. I'm like, fly to Portugal and pray and ask God what's his heart, the Father's heart for the nation, and what our involvement might be. I'm like, hey, we've got Zoom, you know, we can do Zoom or Skype, and we can just be right here, we can all connect, we can pray, God still hears our prayers. Why do we have to go there? It's pretty expensive. And then Randy was saying, like, yeah, no, we need to be there personally, 
And that's the focus. And after we prayed, you can all go back home. And I'm thinking, wow, um, I know one of the churches in our partnership is in the border town of Mexico in California. And I know these guys are like dirt poor. I mean, they're like poor, poor, poor. And I'm like, how are they going to afford to go to Portugal just to pray? And Randy was saying, look, I really think we need to do this. And uh, my initially, initially, I was like, no, I, I just too expensive. And then afterwards, I'm like, nope, Randy's right. There's something about being physically present on the soil in the place that is different from praying at a distance. I mean, there's something different about when you're praying for your grandkid on the phone versus praying for your grandkid like in front of them. Uh, and then Randy reminded us that the original way we got involved in Spain was by a group of people going to Spain and just traveling around and asking God, what do you want us to do for Spain? And that's how the partnership was birthed. So the first leg is to go to Portugal uh, and just pray. Now, fortunately for me, because I'm thinking the money side, I'm thinking, I'm not going to just go to Portugal. If I'm going to go there, the biggest expense on missions trip is a flight, and we'll keep going into Spain. And so the second leg of my trip to Spain is a, a, a church which is friendly towards a vineyard. They're not a vineyard church. has asked me to do a retreat uh, this coming weekend uh, for them. And uh, the interesting thing about this, uh, when they asked me, uh, they said, Rob, we don't want a whole lot of preaching. We just want you to demonstrate what it means to be naturally supernatural. And so can you just do a few miracles and give some words of knowledge and, and stuff? And I stupidly said yes. Because about three or four years ago, the Lord had spoken to me and he said, Rob, I'm tired of you saying no. Next time an opportunity comes, I want you to say yes. And I was like, oh, no. I mean, yes, yes. And so it, it, the craziest thing happened. We were up at a conference in Maine, and I just said yes to God. And I go up to, on the way up to the conference in Maine, a guy phones me from Spain and says, will you speak at our national um, conference? And I said, no, I mean, yes, yes, I'll, I'll speak. And I'm like, what did I just say yes to? And so I get to the, the conference up in Maine, and we get together with this partnership meeting to talk about Spain. And one of the Massachusetts pastors says, you know, I, I, I think you need to get more involved in Spain. And she's talking up, and I'm thinking, wait, she set me up. She spoke to this other guy, only to find out that it wasn't a setup. All that I, I'm hearing is, God, you told me to say yes, I've said yes, and now I'm in a world of trouble and hurt. So when this guy says to me, can you just like, you know, demonstrate naturally supernatural, I'm like, God has told me, just say yes. So I'm like, yes. And I'm like, what am I going into? This is like... I, I wish I could say I'm feeling scared. I'm not. I'm feeling excited, I, you know, just by the grace of God. So I, I know that uh, we're going to have a, a great time in uh, this little town called Antequera. It's uh, somewhat near Malaga in the, in the mountains, near Malaga. And so we'll be there, and uh, Sarah Billings uh, will be with my wife Liz and I uh, as we fly into Portugal, fly into uh, Malaga. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time in a town which we've done some missions work in in the past, Osuna, and uh, connect with uh, some of the people I've developed some relationship with. 
Then to go to Cordova, which is our sister church city we're trying to work with. Uh, Paco is the pastor there, was here last year this time. And they in a great situation where they've just bought a new uh, facility, which they've renovated into a church. And uh, so we're going to do the building dedication and then church service there. And at that, we're going to have the rest of our elders are flying in. The Klinger family will be joining us. And Sarah's husband, Rich, is flying in for one day for the, for the service. And then they're flying on vacation in Italy. Smart move, Rich. But anyway, so uh, they'll be joining us. And uh, I am just uh, excited that the Lynches and the Klingers and Sarah uh, will be with us. I wish John Gargan would be with us too, but John traveled with me recently to the Dominican Republic, and his wife Nan is not in great situation to fly, so John said, give me a break. Uh, all right, uh, I want to just sort of unpack this idea that in Christ, there's always these new beginnings. You know, if you look at the Hebrew uh, calendar, there's two seasons in the calendar, spring and the fall. Most of the festivals and the holidays are all in the spring. There's nothing in the winter. Because what God is saying, uh, He wants to do something new, and it's always new for us. If we are followers of Jesus, life never gets boring. It doesn't matter what stage or phase you are in life, there's the expectancy that God is going to be doing something new in your life. It doesn't matter what stage you're in, there's expectancy that there's something great ahead. Uh, we never get stuck in a rut, and church should likewise always be some place where we are getting life, uh, we do life together, we recognize that we're not perfect people, uh, and we kind of muddy our way through this together, but God is perfect, and God will show us His way. Now, it starts in faith, it continues in faith, and it ends in faith. Let me just unpack that. So each season is new for us. The first one is the obvious one. We become new creations. Uh, in the, the Gospel of John, we've got this really uh, in incredible story of Nicodemus. And what's incredible about it is Nicodemus is an educated man who is familiar with temple life and leadership. And God is saying to him, look, Nicodemus, that's not good enough. And Nicodemus is making the same mistake that many of you and I, that you and your friends and I have made, which is this. We think that we can experience new life by learning more, including learning more of the Bible. And as imperative as it is that we learn more of the Bible, our new life does not happen by more intellectual knowledge. And so Jesus addresses Nicodemus this way. He says in uh, chapter 3 of John, there was a, was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader. In other words, this guy's smart, he's educated, he's a leader, he's familiar with, with the terminology of God and the you know, goings-on of the temple. He was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. There's the emphasis. More knowledge, teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. 
Now notice what Jesus says to Nicodemus. I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus' response is classic. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So we start life with a new beginning. We need to ask Jesus into our heart. The Holy Spirit does something new within us. And unless we can get to that point where we're saying, God, I am dependent on you. I need your Holy Spirit. I invite your Holy Spirit into my life. You can't really go further. If you try and figure this all out intellectually, it doesn't help. Now, if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you will have an appetite for the Word of God because with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, there's something insatiable. You, you, you're figuring out who God is and how God relates to us, and it works really well. Another related verse to this would be Romans 6, 4. It says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we too may live new lives. It's always spring. It's like a new life. It's new beginnings. New buds are coming out. It's like the dead and the past. The winter is no longer. It's something new. There's something new in our lives. And that's what God wants for all of us. Whether you're just like exploring faith and you need to take that step of saying, I need to invite God into my life, or for the vast majority of you, where you're saying, I've done that, I still need to experience the newness of life. And then God says, well, it continues in faith. It doesn't just end in faith. Uh, Galatians says this, Galatians 6.15, it doesn't matter whether you have been circumcised or not, what counts is whether you have been transformed into a new creation whether you've been transformed into a new creation. I mean, Jesus is saying, you were this, you need to be perfect like Jesus is perfect, and in between is a thing called transformation. And we realize that we spend our whole lives being transformed into becoming more like Jesus. Jesus wants us to be like him, perfect. And yet we spend our whole lives like moving in that direction. It's not like we have to achieve perfection, but what we have to do is experience God's involvement and process as He changes us and moves us from ugliness to something beautiful. In Philippians 4.8 it says this, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you have learned and received, everything you have heard me and saw me doing, then God of peace will be with you. God is saying, look, I want to give you peace, I want to give you a good life, but you need to be constantly being transformed. We need to constantly be experiencing new life in Christ. And as we do that, we will be growing, our lives will be rich, we will be experiencing something in God. Uh, you know, last weekend, so many great things are happening in the church at the moment. Last weekend, we were away for Father's Day, and uh, we were sharing with each other, and it was hopefully an encouraging time. Uh, it certainly was for me. Uh, but again, you know, I was reflecting back on my natural dad, and uh, my growing up years were not the greatest. Uh, I think I was probably, with hindsight, 
a pretty difficult teenager. Uh, I, I probably wasn't the easiest teenager to raise, you know, reflecting back. I mean, when I was a teenager, of course, I thought all the problems were my dad's, but now that I'm a little older, I'm like, yeah, I think I had a sort of major part in this problem. But then when I was 28 years old, I received Christ. But God did something else that was totally miraculous in our family. Uh, in another city, 400 miles away, my father at the age of like whatever he was in his 50s, and my stepmother who raised me, received Christ simultaneously. And this transformed our relationship. Because since that moment on, the relationship that I've had with my natural father, my dad, has been really awesome. And if I think of my dad, I just think of somebody that's super loving and someone that so loves Jesus. Uh, somebody that I just really, really love and respect. And, you know, in the culture that I grew up with, emotions weren't really to be shown. And so I'd never really experienced my dad's affirmation of me. I'd never experienced my dad hugging me. Uh, and one of my trips back to visit my dad in South Africa, I remember thinking, you know, I've never experienced that. But on the other hand, sometimes we have to take the initiative. And so uh, when I saw my dad at the airport, you know, I, I reached out and I hugged him. And that's something we'd never done before. And I just said to him, Dad, I really love you. Man, something broke. I, mean, I wasn't expecting anything. I, I just something broke. There was a tenderness, like my dad responded, and he's like, he started crying, and he said, I really love you too. And then at that moment of that embrace, I'm like, this is so obvious. I obviously can see that my dad loves me, and I can obviously see that he's always loved me, but something happened in that particular moment. You know, it's just like there's new beginnings in your life all the time with Christ. I mean, it's really exciting what God will do and continue to do and end up doing. In the book of Revelation, we end in faith this way. Revelation 21, 1 through 5, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven the old earth had disappeared. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. Look, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. What I'm trying to say is this. We start with a new life. It continues for most of our life as a new life. And it ends with the hope of a new life. It's always springtime in Jesus. It's always new life, new hope, new things happening in our lives, new expectation, growth. There's always the sense of optimism and breakthrough when we have Christ. It doesn't matter what phase of life you're in. Let me just try and apply this to natural phases of our lives quickly before I, before I close. I am shockingly, to my own surprise, a grandparent. I mean, I don't know how it happened. I still feel like I'm in my 20s, but actually I've got grandkids. I mean, one out and one still on the way. Uh, one out and one in, I guess. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is just... I mean, I can't explain to you if you're not a grandparent, like something happens. It's like super fun. It's really great. But spiritually, it's really interesting what happens. Because now I realize I have no, my role is not direct control. My role is to try and encourage 
and to indirectly uh, see my grandkids raised in faith. So I would pray for them. And there's nothing that I want more than my kids, my grandkids, to be in church. I recognize that it's absolutely imperative that they go to church like regularly. I mean, I'm not talking about like once a month or, you know, when it's convenient with, you know, whatever they got, Little League and blah, 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 sports stuff. But like, I want to see them in church every week. And for me, a, a holistic picture of what that looks like is I want to see my kids in church every week too. Not just like, okay, I'll drop the grandkids off because they need to go to children's ministry, but I'm going to go play golf, you know, as my, my son. I, no, that doesn't work. The kids sniff that out in a hurry. It's like, wait, if the parents aren't committed to this, then why should the kids? Or if I say differently, if my son says, I'm going to go to church once a month, I'm like, my grandkid's going to sniff that out in a hurry. He's going to notice that you're only here once a month, and therefore church is only worth you know, a priority, once a month kind of priority. I mean, do you really believe God or not? And so I'll get on my son's case. I'm like, you go to church regularly for the sake of my grandkids. They're like, you better be a good role model. Fortunately, he wants to go to church, so I don't actually have to get on his case. Uh, so that's kind of awesome. But what I am saying is, if you want to make a big impact as parents or as grandparents, the biggest thing that your kids and grandkids are going to notice is not what you say, it's what you do and how you exercise and live out your faith. And if going to church is just like a casual thing, the kids will pick up on that as well. But if going to church is just like an obligation or duty, that's kind of tough too. I mean, I get a lot of life out of church, like Sarah said. She's always bawling her eyes out in church. We have free Kleenex for her, just special extra box just for Sarah. I mean, it's just amazing. But look, I do think that we want to be drawn to church and to be experiencing God's goodness for all of us. And I want to see that passed on down to our kids. Now, in every stage of life, we have the similar thing. I mean, we're always busy. There's always challenges. There's always other priorities. If you're a mom with preschoolers, we have a wonderful organization called MOPS. Why? Because we know that first-time moms are stressed out. They don't have enough adult conversation and they need a break. Yeah, you need to get a break. You need to connect with Jesus in that business. That's why we provide mops. Uh, if you're a parent of teenagers, I know teenagers are really high energy. They need a lot. And so you've got to figure out, well, what does that look like? How do you do faith together as teenagers? I mean, honestly, when I raised my kids, some of the biggest spiritual blessings they got was just being part of the youth group. I mean, they'd hear things about dating that I wouldn't have been able to tell them. They heard things about sex that they wouldn't have listened to me from. You know, my daughter probably would run 100 miles if I said, I'm going to talk about sex. She'd be like, oh, I'm busy, Dad. See you later. But at the youth group, they could sort of talk about it and like, yeah, it was really powerful. It was really helpful. And, and you know, I didn't tell my daughter that she needs to remain faithful till marriage. She self-desired it. And yeah, I mean, it was like a something she owned. It was incredible. So I'm, you know, saying to us, as we go through the different phases in life, let's do it together. Let's do it as a church. You might be a single person. I mean, most people nowadays are meeting other people online, but you don't meet online to stay online. You want to meet online so that you can meet in person. I mean, if you just doing all your church online, online TV, online webcam, online, online, Great, but not so great. Unless you're doing it in person, 
You are not modeling it to your kids and to your family. You're not experiencing the imperfection of others, which is pretty awesome because it encourages us that we can do this together as imperfect people. Uh, God is in the business of doing church together that we encourage each other, we share our stories, we see where God is going and how he's using us and involving us. So uh, I want to just close here today with this idea that God is actually involved in your lives if you'll let him. God is actually loving. God does actually know everything about you. Uh, God knows what stage of life you're in. He knows what your needs are. God knows what your struggles are. God knows what your relational struggles are, your financial struggles, your health issues. God knows that. And what God is promising us, I mean, this is an unbelievable promise of love towards us. God is saying, I will take care of it. What God does not want us to be is anxious. What God does not want us to be is stressed out. God is saying, I will help you. I will help you get through the difficulties. I will be with you. I will go along with you through each stage of your life. The good, the challenging, the difficult, the big decisions, the small decisions, the health decisions, the kid-raising decisions. God is saying, I want to be included in those decisions. And he wants to speak to us. So I want, maybe you can just close your eyes. I want to read two verses over you in this area. One is Philippians and one is Matthew. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, I just thank you that you love us, you understand where we're at, you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us change. Lord, help us to let go. Let go of the things we need to let go of. Help us to receive your love and your encouragement. Help us to see how and where you're active in our lives. Lord, and as we come to worship you, and we focus on you, and we put you first. We recognize, Lord, that you would deal with our challenges and with our struggles. And you will give us life, and you will give us energy, and you will give us hope, and you will give us purpose, and you will help us through. But, Lord, we fix our eyes on you. Lord, you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord Jesus, you said you've come to give us life and to give it to us in abundance. We just receive that, Lord, and we expect that in our lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's worship the Lord, and then when we finish with worship, uh, let's spend a little bit of time uh, in prayer.